0: Deuteronomy 5 through 26, yes, that is 22 chapters. I will take roughly 10 minutes per chapter. Five people get up right now. I'm not serious, though. Lord, as we come to your word now, as we come to these words... Words that Jesus himself cited, we know he read these chapters. We know he was steeped in this sermon from Moses. So we open our hearts to you that we can be as Jesus was, shaped by the same words. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Had I known where God was taking me, I may not have gone along for the ride. And I have a sense that that's true for most lives. We're born with gifts. Sometimes they're given to us later by the Holy Spirit. But God gives us things that he wants us to use in the world. But we aren't born with fully developed talents and gifts. Yet sometimes we feel like the people around us are and that we're somehow exceptional in the wrong direction. I want to do that, but I'm not very good at it. Growing up, I had ear infections at a very young age, and it impeded my speech to a rather late age. Um, I tend to mumble and slur language sometimes, probably because that's how I learned. I learned to talk with things in my ears, so uh, I didn't get off to a very good start. Then in um, elementary, I guess I talked a lot, because I remember one friend telling me, you talk a lot. And I, I decided I'm not going to talk a lot anymore. And then in high school, this is pretty common. Most people aren't public speakers in high school. Most people don't like doing class presentations. So uh, I dreaded all of those. I had one teacher who caused, assigned us to memorize poems, which is fine. I can memorize things. It's just a lot of brain work. Sit down and do it. But then he would make us stand up in front of the class and recite the poem verbatim without any notes whatsoever. And you could not use any ineffective gestures. You couldn't look down at the floor. You couldn't look up at the ceiling, out the window. You had to look at all of your students. You also couldn't move anything, like my hand slips in my pocket. Well, you just lost two points. You couldn't shift your weight. Excessively. You just had to be very poison controlled. It was crazy. We were all nervous to death every time we had to do one of those. Um, and then God put on my heart as I'm moving toward graduation from high school uh, music. You want to lead worship. That sounds good, God, because I don't have to talk. Uh-huh. So I I went to school to discover the art of leading worship and how to put teams together and all that fun stuff. And so I get my feet into ministry through worship. Then the youth pastor at the church in which I'm leading worship says, Brandon, why don't you speak for me? My wife is going into labor. You can't say no. (laughs) Sorry. I know you're in crisis mode, but you deal with it. (laughs) You can't do that. So I, start teaching at youth ministry. You know, once is okay. Twice, okay. And then I start doing youth ministry here, and Pastor Mike asks me on very few occasions, why don't you come and speak to the adults? Okay, if it's just once or twice, that's fine. Um, the, point of, the point of this account of a very brief history in the life of Brandon McCulloch is to say that we don't always see the full picture. By the grace of God, we don't always see the full picture. If God gave me a vision of being a Bible teacher on a weekly basis in front of people, I probably would never have taken the first step where he was leading me. Because I would have said, I cannot do that. And I would have been right. So what God does is he gives us gifts, but they are lying in a state of They're in need of development, as children are. There is a world of potential in every child, but they need to be raised and developed. And so must we. However, however, sometimes we don't talk about the work of using our gifts for God. We don't talk about those. And so what we get is the impression of God's blessed some people tremendously. He just uses them. And some people, eh? they're, I mean, they're his kids and all, but they're just kind of the least favorites. And they just kind of go around and kind of survive life because what we do is we see people who have apparent talents and what we hear from them is it's all God. And then we sit here and go, well, how come God hasn't done that to me? Now, The person who says it's all God is not wrong. They're right, and they should say that. But we're not dialoguing very well about the fact that, yes, it's God, but this person has put in hours of work. This person has had hundreds of little steps that have led up to this moment. And and the person over here doesn't see that. Instead, they see, wow, God's prodigy. Wow, God's chosen one. Wow, God just blessed them with this and gave me nothing. And so as as Israel's on the threshold, right on the outskirts of the promised land, the land of abundance, the land where they're going to live the lives they were meant to live and be the people they were meant to be on the earth. They were slaves in Egypt. That's not your potential. He takes them through the wilderness and brings them to this promised land. They're one step away from going in. While they are there, Moses wants to stop them before they enter and remind them that you need to grow into this land. So, Deuteronomy is four sermons by Moses right before they get to the promised land. They're like, I want to go into this land. And the Moses is like, stop. I have four very long sermons for you. You Come on, come on, come on, come on. I think Pastor Brandon teaches long. This is 22 chapters. He stops them, though. Because here they are. They are ready. They are set. And they want to go. But as we saw last week in, in Moses' first message, it wasn't ready, set, go. It was ready, set, slow pause reflect let's bring our history up to the present and see how we can carry that in well, one out tonight is ready set grow we want to go 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 and, and 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 some of us may we were talking about the ones that god just has not blessed me with anything well no he has start to grow it it's going to take some time and some steps little by little it will grow But then we have people who are, they know what they want to do at least. And they just, they want to go right into the action and skip all of the steps of development and growth and hours of work. And perhaps Israel is looking at the land and they're just salivating over the fruits that are there. And the vineyards and the farms and the grain and the cattle. God said, all this is here for you. I'm giving it to you. You just got to go move in. And they're just, they're ready to do it. And Moses wants them to know, you're not just going to launch into your fullest potential. You're not just going to be right in the heart of the action of what God has made you to be and do. You're going to inch your way into that. Because if we just launch right in, you may not be ready to be in that place, and you may not give the, God the proper credit, and you may not love Him enough, and you may find you need things that you are not capable of doing in that situation. So, you're going to lean on the dreaded idols that God is telling Israel how to have nothing to do with. Pay attention to, please, chapter 7, verse 22. Chapter 7, verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. But it's God. Shouldn't we be able just to go in and move in and set up camp and have a full-on kingdom with a king and a military within a night? Yeah, of course God could do that. God could do that. The problem is that we will be far from being ready to run such a thing. God knows that we need to grow. We need to grow into the plans he has for us. We need to grow into the prosperity and the spiritual fruition and the peace and the joy and the love and all the fruits of the spirit he wants to see bursting in our lives. We need to grow into those. We don't wake up fully functioning, developed, perfect Christians with mighty weapons you can use in the world. And for some of us, we may feel like we are never getting the love that we're supposed to show to other people. We're not progressing enough like my neighbor is or like the person across the aisle is. We may compare ourselves to others, but what we need to realize is sometimes these things take growth and they take some practice and some time and some work. Little by little, I am going to let you go in. Here's a little portion. Now that you're used to this, let me give you some more. Now that you're used to that, you're going to have some more. Israel is going to move in like a slowly rising tide, not bang in like a meteorite. Of course, we like the latter, don't we? So I will drive out the nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. In other words, what God has for us is so mighty, so great, so fantastically for you, that you are not you yet to enjoy it. There are beasts that need to be removed, as well as land to move into. And the beasts are often things within us that need to be dealt with. They're things we need to grow out of. Little by little. All right, so what's Moses going to say about this? Reading through these 22 chapters, and yes, that was quite an accomplishment. Um, It took a lot of time. But reading through these, I just get this sense that Moses is giving them instructions for growing. There's a lot of good application in here, a lot of great. um, Jesus quotes, um, when he's in the wilderness, he quotes from this section three times to the devil. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest law in the Bible, he quotes from this section of Deuteronomy. Uh, Jesus is also prophesied as coming from this section in Deuteronomy. Moses says, there will be another prophet like myself. You shall listen to him when he comes. That is Jesus. So let's go ahead and, and let's take a look at what is in here. And how do we, how are we to be ready, set, and then how are we to grow? I mean, most of us are ready and set. How are we going to grow into the promised land of our lives? Chapter 5. Moses summoned all Israel. So this is the beginning of his second sermon. Moses summoned all Israel, and you should hope this is the next day at least. Give them some time to recover from the last one. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Remember, that's Mount Sinai. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire. And you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This introduction, remember God is the God who brought you out of Egypt. What was Egypt again? That place of slavery? Oh, yes. He's going to remind them of this in various ways. Six times he's going to mention Egypt and slavery in the sermon. He's going to mention Egypt more, but specifically the slavery part. One of the things Moses wants us to know is that who you were was a slave, and you can't grow as a slave. A fish, goldfish, cannot grow larger than his bull. You guys have heard that. They grow to the size of their habitat. Um, those little ones you flush down the toilet, yeah, they don't grow very well because they're in captivity. You and I won't grow very well in the captivities of ourselves and our selfishness and our sins and our passions. So God sets us free from those. And, and and when you were once a dependent slave and you were being told how to work and when to get up and where to live and what to eat, it's really hard to suddenly be set free. Freedom looks terrifying. You have to grow into your freedom. And so one of the things God does immediately is he gives them at Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments. And before giving them these Ten Commandments, he lets them know, hey, you were slaves in Egypt. Now listen to these Ten Commandments. In other words, you need a little bit of help in how to live. So let these Ten Commandments help you live. Sometimes we hear Ten Commandments and we think, oh, Ten Rules, Ten Bummers, Ten Thou Shall Not Have Funds. That's not what God was saying. God didn't say, hey, you guys have way too much freedom. Therefore, listen to these Ten Commandments. He said the opposite. You were slaves and didn't know how to live. Let me show you ten steps in the path of life. And so Moses is recounting those Ten Commandments that God had given them, reminding them of them. Now, one of the ways we think of rules often is we have, um, you're here, and there's a fence and, and, and the fence kind of corrals you from all the other dangerous things in the world. And so the rules are here to say, don't do that. No, no, little Brandon, you're going to get hurt. Okay. So the fence of the rules is there to keep me hemmed in. Um, that's a fear tactic to say, the world's scary, you better obey. Okay, I'll stay in here. But you can't really grow very big when there's a lot of rules that are closing in very tightly. God's vision of the Ten Commandments and his law for Israel is not like that. Us free Americans think of rules like that. But what God is actually doing is, yes, he's building that fence, that circular fence, but he's not building it around Israel. He's putting Israel on the outside of that fence and saying, go roam free. I am going to fence in the things that are bad for you. These Ten Commandments are telling you where the evil is and, where and how to ruin your life. So just don't go into that fence, but you have everything else to explore. So he tells them, these are the things to stay out of. You shall have no other gods before me, verse 7. No other gods before me. He's not saying I should just be the highest of your gods. Before doesn't mean rank. It means presence. It means face to face. You shall have no other gods anywhere I am. So put those in the fence and leave them there. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers and of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me, and keep my commandments Number three, verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number four, the Sabbath, verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. And he goes on, he lists also the livestock. They all need rest too. Life is not about work, 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 work. That's one way to break your life. You need to have some space. So no gods before me. No images. Don't take my name in vain. The Sabbath. Number five. He tells them to honor their father and mother. Number six. He tells them you shall not murder. Number seven. Don't have adult, uh, don't have a, uh, adultery. Not idolatry. Adultery. Don't have an affair. <laughs> Keep sex between you and your spouse. Number eight. You shall not steal. Number nine, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, don't covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his car, his bank account, his job, his clothes, his talents. Whatever. Don't covet. Moses then reminds him, God gave you these words. Now, chapter 6. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. I love that. Hey, yeah, I know we're talking a lot about rules, but here's the benefit. They're going to lengthen your days. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them another benefit, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, we come to what's called in Hebrew the great, great's an English word, but the great Shema. Shema means hear, And Israel took this as the core teaching of, from God. Jesus, when he was asked, which is the greatest of the commandments, answered by citing this verse. So according to Moses, God, and Jesus, at least Jesus definitely made it clear, this is the greatest commandment in the scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. With all your heart, all your soul, with all your might, love him. Now, probably what's being said is love the Lord with all your heart. That was an ancient and still even present way of saying your entire being, not your organ, not just one little part of you that's somewhere in the center of your chest. Love, I feel it right there. Um, It's dealing with your entire being, which is then specified by the next parts with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. The soul is the immaterial part of you, the internal part of you. The might is the body, the strength, the physical, the outer part of you. So to love the Lord your God with all your heart means an internal and an external love. That in and out, from the inside out, from the outside in, through and through, you are loving God in all aspects of your being. In other words, love is not just a feeling that we have for God. Love the Lord of God with all your heart, soul, and might. That does not mean love the Lord of God with all of your emotions. Make sure you feel the utmost appreciation for him and delight in him at all times. That doesn't work that way. God is not a feeling to be generated within me. God is a relationship. Which means I'm not always going to feel in love. You know? God is telling them that to love me goes into, yes, your emotions sometimes are involved, your thinking is involved, your priorities are involved, your values, and the way you act and live and apply your strength. To love me is not just to feel good moods toward me. It's to prioritize your life based on me. So, He then asked them to command this to their children, to teach it to them, to put it on their doorposts, which in Jerusalem, in Israel, they still do to this day, putting these words in a little scroll and putting it on their doorposts, and they kiss it as they go in and out. Um, Yeah, these are the words. You are to... Think of them. Keep them near you. Love God. That's the center of your life. And so if we are to grow, growth seems first and foremost to be centered around a love for God, a love for God, a love that I am in, but also that is in me a love that's working and dwelling in me and a love that I am also working and dwelling inside of so that as Jesus prays that we would become one as he and the Father are one, I in them and them in me. That's love. That's what Paul says, husband and wife, the two become one flesh. There's a you in them and them in you. This is not a one-sided love. It's a reciprocal love. This cycle of God is giving and we are giving back. That's how this love works. He is in us and we are in him back and forth back and forth so what love looks like in the mosaic vision here of deuteronomy what he's calling us to what moses is saying god wants how he's telling us to grow is to do love to do love not just to feel love, but to do love. Notice there's a lot of these words in here about be careful to do the commandments I'm telling you to do. There's the Ten Commandments, keep these. You shall not, you shall do love. We know from the New Testament that we're told you know you love God if you keep his words. So we are being called upon to do love. And that means this. Do, dependence on God is one way to love him. And oh, obedience toward God is another way to love him. To do love is to depend on God and to obey God. And that is the heart. As I read through these chapters, that seems to be the thing that's interwoven and intertwined throughout Moe's sermon is to depend upon the Lord your God and to obey the Lord your God. And as we depend upon him and obey him, we will there be doing love with all our heart, soul, and might. Yeah? So, here he goes. Verse 6, already telling us, love is an action. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Verse 18, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Verse 25, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandment. Yeah, do love. All right, so how do we have dependence on God? What does that look like? Go forward with me. Well, let's start, actually, let's go to chapter 7. Um, chapter 7, verse 6. Here's what we need to see first. To love God is to respond to God. In, in, in other words, it's not that I, it's left up to me to work up love for God within my own being. God chose me. God selected me, God loved me, God initiated a relationship, he spoke, he sent Jesus. God is the initiator. Loving God is therefore a response to what he's already done, okay? So we see this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He's chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. See, I chose you, even though you were the, the worst pick in the whole lot, and all the other gods laughed at me for choosing the worst instead of getting the best college player, you know, whatever, sport illustration. They, I picked you, and it didn't seem very promising in the eyes of the world, but I see something. I love you. That's what matters, and I'm going to grow you with this love. So you're going to learn to depend on me. You're going to learn to respond to this love I first showed you. So again, it's not up to us to make the love of the Lord your God happen. He's given us the love we receive and we respond. It's reciprocal. He's giving and then we are going to give back. Now, in chapter 8, we are told that Israel is going to get very prosperous, okay? So look at chapter 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Look at verse six. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God, this is good. He's bringing you into a good land. for the good land he has given you. Isn't that a picture of a table full, like just spilling over with food, and they're just lounging there on a big, full belly with their hands, and like, God is good. (laughs) This is good stuff he's bringing them to. But because of that, there's this danger. Skip down to verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And you, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Be careful, he says. Beware, lest your heart say, my power and my, the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. As you grow into the land little by little, and you see everything that's happening, how amazing it is, be careful, he says, lest you say, wow, look what we did. No. Part of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might is depending on him. Recognizing that anything that happens is because he first of all chose us. I was a sinner rebelling against God. Until he revealed his love to me, until he spoke into my ear and touched my heart, I probably didn't want anything to do with him. He chose us, and now he's saying, remember that everything I'm doing in your life, the growth I'm putting in there, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Yes, you're working at it and you're working with me, but don't forget, it's not on your own. I am here instigating everything. Now, just so that Israel got the point, earlier in chapter 8, I want you to notice some of the things he told them. Uh, Look at verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Ah, you suffered in the wilderness at times. You were not very good people. You failed because you needed to remember that you're dirt, you're dust, you're earth, you're humus, hummus, earth, humility, human, to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandment or not. He humbled you, verse 3, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Moses said that. So did Jesus. But you see the context Moses is saying there were times in the wilderness you were hungry, and then God gave you manna so that you would learn that it's coming from him. We don't depend just upon physical nourishment. We depend upon God. He's the one who's going to get you through the wilderness. And even better, even better is verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Oh, man. I'm not 40 yet. And I'm feeling a little bit of wear and tear. I know. I know it's going to get... Don't tell me it's going to get worse, okay? Don't break my... Don't ruin my night. But I'm not even 40 and I'm feeling wear and tear. For 40 years, these people go through the wilderness and God's saying, you have not seen your shoes wear out, your clothes wear out, and your feet didn't swell. And you're going, What? I want to be in the wilderness. No, you don't. But, but he's reminding them that he carried them through the wilderness. Even though they had sinned against him, he took care of them. They needed him. They depended on him. So when you go into, you start growing into your gifts and your abilities and you're serving God and you're in your promised land and you see that you're living the life, you're meant to live on the earth. Do not forget who carried you all the way through and is making it happen in your life now. He's feeding you manna day after day. He's making sure you don't wear out, wake up when they say this whole God thing's stupid, and walk away. He's making sure that you are sustained and nourished, and you are going to be provided for if we're willing to walk with Him little by little. So don't forget, Israel. Now, now, chapter 9 is fantastic because if they didn't get the point that they depend upon God yet, they do in chapter 9. Starting in verse 4, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that's the nations that are in the land, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord God has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. This is grace. This is what Paul says in the New Testament, isn't it? It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. He's the reason that we have a promised land, an inheritance, a life worth living, a purpose on the planet. It's because of him. We need dependence on God. Now, it's not because of your righteousness. Verse 6 said, because you are a stubborn people. Let that linger, because then Paul, uh Paul. Moses. Mo goes into these episodes in which they're painfully reminded of their stubbornness um just as an example verse 13 talks about the golden calf oh yeah we weren't very good then were we verse 22 talks about the rebellion when they came to the promised land the first time and they said yeah we don't want to do what you want us to do and they went into the 40-year wilderness death march moses is reminding them yeah you've been a bit rebellious haven't you yeah i guess we have so remember, this is all God's favor upon you. Does God love you? Oh my goodness, yes. We look at this and we say, he took care of us even when we were rebellious and he's still leading us even though we were a stubborn people and we're not righteous. Yes, Israel, depend upon God. Yes, church, brothers, sisters, friends, depend upon God. This is how we can love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. Now, how is that loving God? Isn't it loving me? Oh, God, serve me. No, no. Think about this. If I want God to look really good, I am taking that away from him by doing mighty things on my own, even though it's for God. Oh, no, no, God, I got this. Let me do it. So that the world sees how good I am. Or God's like, hey, I want to help you with that. I want to work through your life. I want to work wonders here. And if we step aside and say... Go ahead, God. Who gets the credit? Who looks good? Who is loved by the people who see and experience the blessing and work of God? Yeah, we can love God by depending on Him. This is not about me working up growth in myself. And so I need not feel bad that I'm somehow a worse Christian because I am not, after 20 years of walking with God, at a pastoral status. It's ridiculous. The greatest Christians that I know are those that get the humility lessons of the wilderness and know that they are not righteous and simply depend upon their God. He is far more capable of doing exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. I have limits. And so one of the best ways to grow is to step outside of yourself. I can only grow myself to the limits of my strength. But if I now step beyond that and trust in another being, he will grow me further. And little by little, I will move deeper and deeper into that which God has for me. I can't do that on my own. Do love. Depend upon God. Second, obey God. This is its sort of like a negative often. We, we, use, we use these as threats. You better obey God or you'll go to hell. Or We say things and it's kind of... Not good, um, but obedience is a very good thing as as Moses wants to show us we don 't give Moses and the law of Israel enough credit. We often, because Paul rightfully comes in and says Jesus is better than the law, so he talks bad about the law to make Jesus look good. it's, It's a rhetoric device, but the law was there for a reason. It was good for Israel, and it's good for life, and it was leading them in a much better place. And we need to see that Moses loves the law, and he wants Israel to keep the law, not to get them to heaven. He knows that's not possible. He wants them to keep the law so that they can live in the promised land. I can't live in God's best for me if I... I don't obey his commands there are 38 depends on how you count them but from chapters 5 through 13 there were 38 unique instances in which Moses told Israel to do or keep or obey God's commands statutes and laws that's a lot I highlighted them in blue and they're all over the place so almost 40 times um let's Let's hear some of these. I'm going to read the ones in which I highlighted in green, uh, which are followed up with, here's a good reason to keep God's commands. God's commands are for your benefit. So, uh, chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. 533. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. 6, verse 2. We actually already read those. There's a couple in there. Verse 2 and 3 had some benefits, Um, but let's go forward to verse, uh, we did that one. Uh, Let's do chapter 7, verse 12. So there were a few more in chapter 6, but 7, verse 12. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep you, will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil and increase and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. So these are the things that pagans would pray to their gods for. And God's saying, don't go there. I'm going to be the source of this if you do what I ask you. So there's that. There's uh, verse 8. We read 8 verse 1. You shall be careful to do, and then you will multiply in the land. We read 8 verse 6 with this command. And then there's, you're going to have, remember the table overflowing with food, and you're leaning back with a belly full of food and going, oh, God's good. Yeah, that's that one. And then in chapter, chapter 10 verse 20. We'll actually, start in, um, let's start in 10, verse 12. 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments? See how it's linked, loving God and keeping his commandments? And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Why should you fear him and serve him and hold fast to his commands? Because he's the one who's been prospering and multiplying you. 11, verse 8 You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today. So, do my words that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey, for the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills, and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. Wow, he's the gardener of this land. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon this land from the beginning of year of the year to the end of the year. And then verse 13 is another one. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, benefits. He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain and all your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, there's more. We got two more. Let's go. Verse 18, chapter 11. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall teach them to your children. Moses is repeating himself a lot because his sermon's long. Talking on, of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That. Your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. That sounds like forever. Verse 22. And if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. In other words, you'll grow Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness of the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the Western Sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised. So pop quiz. Is obeying God good for you? Some of you tuned out for the last 10 minutes. That's okay. We've only covered a quarter of Moses' sermon here. So (laughs) I wonder what he did. Stone that guy. He fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, that'd be horrible. Okay. um, Obeying God is good. Now, this is just a sampling. What we need to see here is that this does not mean something bad is happening in my life. I must have disobeyed God. Did Job disobey God when all the bad things happened to him? No, it doesn't mean that. Now, if you disobey God, something bad might happen, but it doesn't mean that everything bad happens because you disobeyed God. And it doesn't mean that the bad thing happened when you disobeyed because God shot you down with a lightning bolt, said teach you a lesson, spank him. Not necessarily what happens there. We'll come back to that. Nor is it saying that, well, God, I kept all ten commandments this week. That means I get ten golden stars, right? Can I trade those in for a new, a new, uh, a new, uh, new shoes or something? doesn't work like that either. In other words, what I am saying is that God is not blessing us for obedience. It's not like, I did something, now I get something. He's not blessing us for our obedience. He's blessing us in our obedience. And there's a huge difference. To be blessed in the obedience means the obedience itself is the blessing. Because the obedience itself is teaching you to live the way you were wired and made and created to live. And when you live the way you were made and wired and created to live, you will live a rich, full, deep, satisfying, lasting life. If I don't put oil in my car, it won't have a rich, deep, lasting, satisfying life. It was made to have oil. I must put oil in it. Do I grumble? Well, I might grumble when it costs me something, but, you know, dumb manufacturers making up these laws to take our fun away. No, they're telling you to put oil in it so your car will last longer look at it the same way. Further, Jesus in John chapter 10, I reckon it's cha- verse 10, 10, 10, um, I have came that they may have life and life abundantly, life abundantly. This, everything Moses is saying is what Jesus said in those very short words. Jesus was a much better preacher, by the way. He said, I know I should learn from him too, I think. He said, everything Moses is saying in in this I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. And now he said that so many times in the Gospel of John. You guys may recall back, it might have been a year, two years, I think two years ago, when we were in the Gospel of John, the word Zoe is the Greek word for eternal life. The phrase eternal life is Zoe. Uh, That does not just mean length of life that is going to go on forever and ever. It will do that too. But it also, Zoe has not just this breadth, but it also refers to a depth of life. And that Jesus did not just come to give us life after death, but he came to give us life before death as well. He came to give us a deep, rich, satisfying, holistic life that will last and will be just worth it. Promised land kind of existence is the way John describes the life that Jesus came to give. So it's good to obey God because in the obedience itself is the blessing, just like in the disobedience itself is the curse. It's not that I disobey, and then God has to reprimand me with this bad event. That's why I got a flat tire, because I cursed or something. And then he cursed again, because it happened. <laughs> now you're going to be cursed again, so look out. No, it doesn't work like that. It's more like, because I am now in disobedience, I'm going to find myself more frustrated, more agitated, more upset. I'm going to find that I'm working against the way I was made to live. And that's what is going to be a curse to me. And because I become a person like that, I may create situations in my life that are going to bring more pain into my life. Because I'm living in dissatisfaction, because I'm in disobedience, I might be spending more money to get more happiness in this thing. And then when the credit card bills come in, I have my curse, which I brought upon myself because of my disobedience and lack of satisfaction in the fact that I'm not walking the way that God wanted me to live. So so the blessings that God is promising are not for obedience, like, ooh, I earned 10 blessings because I had 10 obediences. It doesn't work like that. He blesses us in the obedience itself. So this is why we want to depend on God and obey God, is because This is how you do love, and this love is how you grow. I cannot grow beyond myself without depending upon another to pull me beyond myself. That's one way to grow. And I cannot grow by obeying my own laws, because I made them. Someone else who's telling me this is a better way to live, that's how I grow. When I start to listen to someone else's advice and take those steps beyond what I would ordinarily do on my own accord. That's how you grow. So, by doing love, we will begin to grow little by little, deeper and further into the rich and abundant and deep, satisfying life that God has promised us, which in the New Testament would call Zoe, eternal life. That's how we grow. Now, the reason that we need to be ready, set. Grow instead of just launch right into the middle is because if we don't grow into the blessedness of what God's given us, if we don't grow into the calling which He's called us to live, we will find ourselves overwhelmed and underprepared. And you will then lean upon whatever you can to help yourself because you haven't learned to depend on God and you haven't learned to obey Him. So, what are you going to reach for? Something else. Which the Bible would then say, ah, that's what I call an idol. And that's what Israel did. Over and over, when they felt themselves overwhelmed and in too deep, they reached out for idols. They didn't always obey. They didn't always depend on God. So you see these warnings littered in this sermon about, do not tolerate their idols. Chapter 7, verse 25 7.25, The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. Verse 11 no, uh, verse 11, chapter 12. 12.1, 12, these are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. All the days that you live on the earth, you shall surely destroy all the places or the nations whom you shall dispossess, serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God chooses uh, will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall I lost my place. There you you shall go, verse 6, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions. So you're going to worship in the one place. Verse 8, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. (laughs) See, idolatry encourages you not to grow. There's an immaturity to idolatry. In which you just get to do, oh, hey, I don't want to obey God. I want to obey these rules. So you create a God that affirms these rules. Oh, I don't want to depend upon God. I like doing things my way and on my own strength and with my own resources. So we carve and create a God that accesses these resources for us. Or really, those powers and resources are the God that we've created. It might be money. It might be friendship. It might be connections. It might be career. It might be possessions. Whatever it is, idolatry is one way to not grow. Idolatry will never get you past yourself because the idol which you worship is a reflection of you. Idolatry is God created in the image of man. You can't grow that way. Idolatry only produces immaturity. And that's the snare that we must be careful about. So let's finish tonight in John chapter 15. John 15. As I was reading in Moses' very long sermon, which I did very well at keeping under an hour. <laughs> Praise me, just kidding. Um, <laughs> this, this John 15 came into my mind over and over. I was just like, wow, this is, there's just so many similarities here. So we'll close with Jesus' words and how he tells us to go forward. John 15, verse 1. I, Jesus is talking, so now this is his sermon. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So, abide in me. Or it means to abide means to remain. Some translations just flat out say, remain in me. That's what it means to abide. Be connected. Stay there. Stay hooked to Him. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What part of what, what does that mean? That's the, that's the D part of do love, right? Dependence. Unless you are connected to me, you can't bear fruit. That's dependence. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. We said depending on him makes God look good, right? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to live in the promised land. He wants us to live to the fullest gifts and callings that he's put within us because it makes him look good when humans live the way he created them to live. This is the way to life. And so Jesus wants us to be full of fruit. He wants us to be in that promised land. So abide in Christ, Jesus is saying and me. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep, here comes the O, obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what part of this passage sounded like a bummer? What part of Moses' message sounded like a bummer? Well, except for if you do the idolatry thing, it's going to be really bad for you. That was a bummer. But what part about the abiding in the love of God, depending on it and obeying it, what part of that sounded like a bummer? It, none of it. it was these promises of fruit of life, of the promised land of abundance. Now, some people want to obviously take this and say, oh, we're all, I'm going to be financially blessed. I don't don't know if that's really in the cards, if that's what it's talking about. So please don't hear me being a prosperity preacher at the moment because someone is probably, you know, on the lookout for that. And that's good. That's good. We don't want that. But, I mean, we want money, but it's not. Why would God give you an idol? Like, why? I don't know. Okay. Finish that footnote. He he wants us to live the lives we were meant to live. That's the bearing fruit. That's the living in the promised land. That's being blessed in a blessedly abundant way. So um, Jesus said, abide. Abide means remain. It means stick with it. So, what that means is do love, depend and obey. Do love every day. That's what remain means. Don't stop it. Don't stop doing love. Some people say faith is believing that there is a God. That's rookie stuff. Faith is believing that if I do what God tells me to do, it will be good with me. Faith is believing that if I do this thing every day, if I pray to God and I obey him and I read his scriptures and I listen for his voice and I follow the leading of the spirit every day, it will be good for me. That is faith. That is remaining. That's abiding. Believing in there, if there's a God, that yeah, I mean, that's a good first step, but that's not true faith. So, brothers, sisters, friends, Jesus, Moses wants us to walk with him, to have faith, and to remain and abide. So keep it up. Do love every day, and don't stop. But, but nothing's happening. All the idolaters are getting ahead, and they're doing it faster and better, and they have more money and a happier life. Really? Do you know the kinds of things that are going on inside them? And, and, and Jesus is not denying any of that from you. He is simply saying, my plan is to grow you little by little. Idolatry is the shortcut. You can go that way, but it will never get you past the starting point. I want to grow you little by little. So keep remaining, keep abiding, keep doing love every day, and you will get there. That takes faith.